0: Genesis 28, I am really glad that you're here in this place of public assembly and great physical risk. In Genesis 28, we went through this on Wednesday night. I'm gonna repeat a few things that we talked about Wednesday, so if you've heard that teaching, many of you haven't if you weren't here because they're not up on the website yet because we're having web difficulties. Oh, that's just the way things are. Uh, It is up on the podcast and on YouTube. By the way, it is on YouTube now, so if you wanna take that risk, (laughs) you can go to Bridge Christian Fellowship Whidbey.com on YouTube, and you'll find all the teachings. It goes back to about Genesis 6, I believe, so that's available to you as well. Genesis 28, again in verse 16, Jacob awoke from his sleep, and he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. A little backdrop. Jacob had left everything he'd ever known in shambles. Put yourself in the position of the man. He headed north, fleeing, really, 50 to 60 miles to a place called Luds. It would be called Bethel eventually. But there at Ludes, not having any idea really where he was, only that he was headed somewhat in the right direction, physically and emotionally exhausted, the Bible literally says he fell into a certain place. Verse 11. Your Bible may read, he came to a certain place, but it is, he fell into a certain place. Again, indicating it's a place that was unknown to him. He just fell upon it. He came upon it, and there, Jacob, as the story tells us in chapter 28, dropped to the dirt, pulled up a stone for a pillow or a marker, we're not sure, and he fell asleep. What he didn't realize was in that same place his grandfather Abraham first called upon the name of the Lord, in the land, Genesis chapter 12, verse eight. Same location. And as he slept, Jacob there had a remarkable dream. He saw a stairway to heaven at which the Lord appeared to him for the very first time, confirming to Jacob the covenant that he had made with his grandfather Abraham and with his father Isaac. But this time, it was a dream. The previous Times were appearances, visions, where Abraham saw the visible God, where Isaac talked to and received the covenant from the visible God, but now Jacob's dreaming, so this is gonna require a bit more faith upon awakening. And yet, Jacob would do that. He would go from faith to face, finally wrestling with the visible God through the dark night that's described later in Genesis 32. And he'll win that match coming out of it with a new name and a lifelong limp But for now, Jacob is spoken to by God in a dream. And listen, he will have to decide if he believes it, which is exactly what you have to do. You have to decide if you will believe him. No doubt you've heard the story of Jacob's ladder or truly stairway. Bibles all tend to translate it ladder, but it is stairway. It's the only time that word is used in the Bible with angels ascending, going up, and descending, coming down. And Jesus Jesus took this dream of Jacob and he explained its reality. John 1, 51, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, you all will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I'm the stairway. I'm the ladder. I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's me, Jesus says. I love the old rabbi who said, I like Jesus, I like his teachings, but my problem is he makes everything about himself. (laughs) And truly he does. You got to go through Jesus to get to that place. To reach the top of the stairs, to make your way up the ladder, you must go through Jesus because he is the way, he is the staircase. Hebrews 10, 19, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. He is the way. Now again, if you were here Wednesday, we talked about these things, and Jacob's dream of the stairway, and and the implications there. But if you'll notice in Genesis 29, verse one, it says, then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the sons of the east. And that's what I planned on doing this morning. I was ready to go on the journey. To move on, let's go to chapter 29. Let's see, Lord, what you have for us there. And I couldn't get there. Amidst emails, media reports, fears, worries, and concerns, I couldn't move forward. I found myself stuck and going over again this, this dream that Jacob had. And there's something we need to talk about this morning. Jesus warned, He said clearly that nation will rise against nation, Matthew 24, 17. And kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. By the way, are you aware of the locust swarm in Africa? Considered the worst locust swarm in 25 years, it is massively destroying many parts of Africa. So you might wanna be praying for people in that place, but it's devastating farmlands and it's just sweeping across that, that land. But he says there will be famines in various places and earthquakes and some early manuscripts add the word pestilences. There will be pestilences. Well, the word pestilence in the Greek is thanato. Thanato, which means death. There will be death. There will be deaths, things that cause death. Pestilence is that which causes death apart from war, famine, and natural disasters. So what does that leave us with? Disease. And of course, it's on everyone's radar, and it is changing minute to minute, day to day, coronavirus disease 2019, or COVID-19. Now, I gotta confess to you, I've been personally caught off guard by the general hysteria the panic, the the fear, locally, nationally, even globally, I'm worried about getting more toilet paper. (laughs) Because apparently all you need to survive this disease is toilet paper, water, and hand sanitizer, and you're good to go. (laughs) Locally, nationally, globally, this has been remarkable. Les said earlier, it's kind of like a 9-11 moment. Or everybody is in a panic. And as, as varied as our world may be in terms of culture and nationality and everything else, people are all kind of watching this and, and everywhere you go, this is being talked about, this fear, this worry, and no surprise. You see, when all of our hopes and dreams are set on this life and this life gets threatened, it's terrifying. That's really the problem underneath everything that's going on is people are, again, reminded that they are temporary, reminded that this flesh will fail, reminded that, they're, that if I'm hoping for today or tomorrow or the next day and it may not come, well, what then? And, and there's just this mass hysteria as of yesterday. Well, actually this morning, because I looked it back up this morning. This morning, March the 8th. 107,802 people have been infected globally with coronavirus 2019, 3,661 deaths. And I don't mean to diminish the loss of life at all. Number of cases in the United States this morning was 447 out of 350 million, but let's just know the numbers. 447, uh, oh, I'm sorry, that's in Washington state. No, 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 let me read this right. 447 in the United States, 103 in Washington. So apparently we're the epicenter. <laughs> U.S. fatalities are up to, out of 350 million people, 19. In Washington, 16. So 16 of the 19, 103 of the 447 of the cases, get this, 85% of the cases of coronavirus are mild. Some people don't even know they have it. It comes and goes. 15% are considered serious or critical. Right now they're talking about roughly a 6% mortality rate, which means 94% recover. But even that... 6% mortality rate, that is from those who are reporting. So the number is probably far lower than that. It may be in actuality as low as one or 2% because a lot of people will get it and just think they have the flu. Think they just have some uh, late winter illness and so they stay home for a few days and they get over it and get better and get on about life, which is what we do. The The flu kills far more people every year than this has so far. But it doesn't seem to change the fact that people are in a panic, and they're worried. And if I shake someone's hand, am I gonna be in the grave tomorrow? And all this fear and all this worry, how do we face it? How do we deal with the public panic, the media fomented fear, and by the way, note that, the media is all over this thing, because it's the big story, and if it bleeds, it reads. That is the mentality of journalism today. It's not about facts. It's about fomenting you know, concern and fear and ratings and getting people to read your paper over that paper or, or watch your broadcast over that broadcast. And so it's always the front end of panic. And by the way, there's all kinds of political ploy that's at play here as well. Not one side against the other. Everyone's using it. Fear. Fear is at work in this restless season, fear. And my friends, fear is perhaps the greatest surplanter of faith in the world. If you ask me what's the number one thing that will diminish faith, I would have to go with fear in the human experience. So the question is, how is a follower of Jesus supposed to live in the midst of all this fear and this worry and this dread? Our answer is very simple, by faith. How do you live in the face of fear? By faith. Now, you might say, well, that's easy for you to say, Pastor, you don't have a virus. No, I don't. I do have significant scarring in my left ventricle from three different cases of paramyocarditis. Found that out a few months ago. Significant scarring, that's what you wanna hear from the doctor. Hey, yeah, we got your MRI back. You have significant scarring in your left ventricle hey doc, isn't that the one that pumps the blood in? Well, yes it is. (laughs) And then he showed me on the MRI the significant scarring. It's like two little dots. I'm like, doc, this is significant scarring, that? No, I mean, are you serious? But fear and worry and concern and dread, and I deal with these things in my life too. How is a follower of Jesus to live? By faith. Psalm 23:4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 139, 16, in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. Do you believe that? I mean, ask yourself, do I really believe that? That God has planned, that he has ordained my days, that he's aware of each and every one that he is with me even in the valley of shadow. By the way, that's such a powerful phrase. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the valley of the shadow of demise, the valley of the shadow of depression, the valley of darkness, where I can't see what might be around the corner, what's on the other side of that rock or behind that tree. How do I get through here alive? How do I get through here? By faith, yet trust me, the Lord says. And if we believe that, then why does faith falter and fear flourish even among followers of Jesus? I'll tell you why. We forget that God is here. Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. The man fell asleep, exhausted, and I think worried and and confused because he didn't know God was there. He wasn't aware that God was in that place. I think Job had the same experience. His terrors and his problems and his life issues caused him to forget. The book of Job, if you've read it, it's about a man in the midst of his own financial ruin and family tragedy and physical affliction And the whole book is he's struggling with the presence of God. He's dealing with the issue of faith. And in the ninth chapter of Job, he says something very revealing, easy to miss if you're just reading through the book. Job chapter nine, verse 11, he says, were he to pass by me, I would not see him. Were he to move past, I would not perceive him. Were he to snatch away, who could restrain him? I like that. Who could say to him, what are you doing? But, but he says, if he were to move by me, I, I wouldn't see. And, and if he were to move past, I, I wouldn't know. Job speaks to the mystery that God is spirit. God is in this place right now, the spirit of the living God by the promise of Jesus. As Doug prayed, where two or three are gathered, in my name, I'm there. So he's here. Do you see him? Who's he sitting by? Now, some of you more confident ones would say, right here, by me. (laughs) Others of you might say, I think he might be across the room. I know he wouldn't want to sit by me this morning. Some are looking around wondering, is that true? God is spirit. And, And Job is complaining as he talks about it, saying, we don't see him, so how can we argue before him? In fact, in Job chapter nine, he's arguing for an advocate. I just need an umpire, he says. I need someone behind the plate, between me and God, to argue my case. I need an advocate, is what Job wants. Hey, at least Job is aware of God unseen. At least Job knows that God is spirit. Faith falters and fear flourishes when we forget, when we don't realize God is here. I don't mean just here in this place on a Sunday morning. I mean here in my life, here in my presence, his presence in my presence. We often pray, Lord, we invite you to be here. Well, he's already here. I often say, God, fill me with your presence, and it's like he's already, I can imagine how he must feel sometimes. I'm already, because you're asking me to be there. That's great, I appreciate, but I'm here. Hello, hello. God is here. And again, Jacob's realization upon awakening from the covenant dream, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Now he does. He knows now. He just didn't realize it when he arrived at this place. He didn't know God was with him. He arrives at this place called Luth's. I shared Last week, or Wednesday night, Luths can mean separation. It can also mean almond trees. But it can mean separation. And Jacob arrives at this place of separation, separated from his family. Things have not gone well. He has the birthright, he has the blessing, but now he's on the run. And he arrives there at Luths, a real Luthser, I tried it Wednesday night, Doc, I didn't get anything. I'm telling you, I I was looking forward to this morning because Wednesday night was a tough crowd. It really was. He arrives there at Luz, this place of separation. It will be called Bethel, House of God, but when he arrives there, it's separation. He doesn't know that it's Bethel. He doesn't realize God is there. Think about Jacob, in this moment of his life, he went from being a peaceful man living in tents to a running man living in tents, (laughs) in tents. (laughs) And here he is at Ludes and the first we see is this weary Jacob, alone, separated from family, unaware that God is in that place. He didn't know God was with him. Now listen, that's Jacob who would be named Israel eventually and the people of Israel would suffer the same problem. In fact, 1,800 years later, in days of a different kind of distress than their father, Jacob's. Israel's most tragic demise would be for the very same reason. I did not know he was in this place. Listen to this, Luke chapter 19, verse 37. As he was approaching the, near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, Psalm 118, 26. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. These were his disciples, his followers, and those who were caught up in the moment of Jesus riding on the donkey, coming into Jerusalem, fulfillment of biblical prophecy. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. Saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, Yerushalayim, city of peace. If you had known the things that make for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. Understand, Jesus is weeping as he says this. He is speaking through tears when he says, they will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Why? Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. They didn't know God was in that place, in the person of Jesus Christ. They were unaware of the very presence of the Lord and Jesus weeps city of God <laughs> that housed the temple of God would fall because it was filled with a people who did not recognize the presence of God with us. Emmanuel, Jesus Christ himself, just as Job said, were he to pass by me, I would not see him. Were he to move past, I would not perceive him. And they didn't, and so they fell. Because without faith, all you're left with is a failing faith. And maybe you agree with Job and you say, Yeah, but that's my problem. I can't see him. I can't perceive him. Okay, listen very carefully. This is what Jesus said God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Because God is spirit, because we recognize that he is spirit those who worship him must do so in spirit and in truth. How many times have you heard Jesus say that? How many times have we been over that verse? God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And oftentimes we'll pray it at the beginning of a Sunday morning uh, worship series. You know, hey, Lord, we worship you now in spirit and in truth, in spirit and in truth. And we throw these words around and stop for a moment and think, what does this mean? To worship in spirit doesn't mean, hey, we've got the spirit, yes, we do. We've got the spirit, how about you? (laughs) To worship in spirit is not an emotional workup. To worship in spirit isn't a sensational buzz from a particular song. To worship in spirit is what we have been talking about for the last two or three weeks. I don't know if you realize that. To worship in spirit is to know God in this place by spirit. It's not head knowledge that gets it. It's my spirit man that understands. To worship in spirit is to recognize the presence of God, that my spirit is in communi- communion and communication with his spirit. Now, listen again, because this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. Verse five, those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Now, I know some of us will hear that from time to time and go, yeah, but I don't know how to get there. I wanna have a spiritual mindset. I'm just not sure how. Paul goes on, the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God. It is not able to do so. Do you hear that? There's a clue. If you're in the flesh, you're probably hostile to God. If you're in the flesh, you're not paying attention to the things of God. If you're in the flesh, you don't want to even obey God. That's the mind of the flesh. The mind of the spirit is aware of the presence of God. And then he says, for the mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Now, there's a hint that your mind is set on the spirit. You feel life and you are at peace. Some are thinking right now, wow, that's bad news for me because I'm in distress. Pay attention. He says, the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God. It is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And he continues on, flesh and spirit, talking about this dichotomy. But what he's talking about here is personal fellowship with the very present God that is God in this place. I don't see him, says Job. I don't feel him, says Job. Someone else. And to some, the idea of my spirit in communion with the spirit of God sounds mystically esoteric. And we struggle with how to get there. How do I become spiritually minded? How do I get away from this fear that I awaken with, this fear that I fall to sleep with, this worry, this dread that I'm seeing all around me in the world? How do I deal with this? The answer is almost childishly simple. How to have... A spiritual mindset, it's immediately practical. Let me say this again, faith overcomes fear when I know God is here. Faith overcomes fear when I know God is here. So one of the most practical, immediate things you can do when your faith is failing is start praying. Start talking to the God you know is present. Try that, my words fall flat, keep going, don't stop, continue. You keep talking to him. As a matter of fact, one of the exercises that I do personally, and it works very effectively, is I just start speaking the names of God. El Elyon, El Shaddai, El Olam, El Roy, Yahweh Yireh, Jesus Christ, man, just start speaking the name of Jesus start considering the characteristics and the character traits and the nature of God, God in this place, you will find faith start to rise. You will find yourself becoming more and more spiritually minded. Faith overcomes fear when I know God is here. Why? Because fear changes direction. If I'm stuck in flesh, then fear, panic, and dread are gonna reign over me. But again, Jesus said, I repeat, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth, and to worship in spirit, listen, to worship in spirit, we need truth. We need truth. This is what is being overlooked in large parts of the church right now. It's all about worshiping in spirit, but it's denial of the truth. Deny the truth and your quote unquote spiritual worship is bogus, it's empty, it's emotion, it's nothing. We worship in spirit and in truth because to worship in spirit we need the truth so let me give you some truth this morning. When Jacob woke up, again, he said in verse 16, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it but again, he knows now, he knows now Suddenly, he realizes God in that place. Jacob's fear changed direction. It became an even greater fear. (laughs) He's afraid. He's worried he falls asleep that way. He wakes up with a greater fear than he fell asleep with, but it's a different fear. Now, it's a holy, awesome fear that overshadows all other possible fears he might have had. Verse 17, he was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place, this is none other than Beth Elohim, the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. God is here, God is in this place. And the moment that Jacob realizes it, his fear of life is displaced by fear of the Lord. God is in this place. That's a good fear, that awesome, holy profound reverent fear that's a good fear and that will displace any other fear in our lives isaiah 33 verse 5 says the lord is exalted he dwells on high he has filled zion with justice and righteousness and he will be the stability of your times he will be, not not anything else not how you're feeling he's the stability He is a wealth of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge, and the fear of the Lord is his treasure. Whose treasure? Well, in the context there of Isaiah, Jacob's treasure. But the fear of the Lord is our treasure. The fear of the Lord, man, that is gold for us. When we fear the Lord, we will fear nothing else. Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death or COVID-19. Whether fear comes from death, or fear comes from disease, or fear comes out of depression, or fear comes from disaster, hey, how about that? Four tornadoes set down in Nashville last week and devastated the city. Those four tornadoes caused more immediate death than the coronavirus. but that wasn't in the news anymore this morning. We're done with that. My friends, when fear changes direction, and rather than being a worldwide, global epidemic of confusion and fear, when fear changes direction and becomes Godward, suddenly my times stabilize. Suddenly I'm on level ground when fear changes direction in spirit and in truth. Now think this through with me. So Jacob awakens, realizes the Lord is in that place, is filled with the fear of the presence of God. Why? What changed in Jacob? In spirit, he heard truth. In spirit, he heard truth. Look at verse 13. Behold, the Lord stood above the stairway to heaven and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Out in the middle of nowhere. With the birthright and the blessing seemingly 50 to 60 miles behind him and nothing but dark uncertainty and dread ahead of him, God confirmed the covenant in truth. Jacob heard the truth. We worship him in spirit and in truth. We need truth to worship in spirit. And he hears the truth and, and he is remarkably changed as he wakes up. God confirms the covenant directly to Jacob. And two things we saw on Wednesday night that are amazing to me. First off, he doesn't rebuke Jacob. Notice that. That's, that in and of itself, that's a sermon right there. Why, and when he finally speaks to Jacob directly, does God not say one negative thing about Jacob's behavior? Because that wouldn't do any good. This is a new thing Cheryl and I have. You know, when one of us goes negative, the other one says, is that helpful? (laughs) And I say, no, it's not. (laughs) Is that helpful in this moment? Is it helpful to be afraid? Those of you traveling to Israel, is it helpful to worry about it? No. No, it's not, so don't. Don't. I'm going to Israel with or without (laughs) y'all. We are waiting on the Lord, by the way, for that trip to see what he's gonna do. And so far, the Lord hasn't said otherwise. We're going because that's what he is leading us to do. And if he puts up the roadblock, fine, okay, not a problem. But until then, the day in, day out, oh, just don't worry about it. (laughs) I don't even know where I am. Oh, so... (laughs) So he doesn't rebuke Jacob, and I just, I love that, because I would have, Jacob, I'm gonna give you my covenant, but listen, bonehead, let's start first of all with you deceiving your dad. Was that a wise thing to do? No, did you trust me? Apparently not, but he doesn't go there, not at all. He just goes straight to the covenant. Hey, Jacob, I have a covenant for you. Remember the one your grandfather Abraham had? Remember the one Father Isaac told you about? It's yours. It's yours. Birthright, blessing, all that you wanted, all that you desired, all that you now feel is behind you is right here because I am confirming it to you. Awesome, he hears the truth without rebuke. And secondly, it's interesting to me that God doesn't appear to Jacob at all, not visibly. He comes in the very first dream, which would necessitate faith. And that's why I believe he showed up the first time to Jacob. He's gonna show up in person, in fact, more personally than with Abraham or Isaac, because they're gonna have a wrestling match. But the first time he shows up to Jacob, it's in this dream. Why? Gotta believe me. Gotta trust me. You're gonna have to wake up and shake the dust off your head and trust that this is from me. But listen, in this dream... The Lord gave to Jacob more than either of his fathers, Abraham or Isaac, had ever heard. And you need to hear this today, especially if there's any depression, despair, or fear that's plaguing you right now. Listen very carefully to this. Verse 15, God continues speaking to Jacob in the dream and he says, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. And in spirit, God gives Jacob a fourfold truth. A truth that Jacob is gonna need to know that he was in spirit, to confirm being in spirit, to cause Jacob to awaken and stay in spirit. He's gotta have the truth. God tacks on verse 15 to the exact same covenant promise he made to his fathers, but it's more. And Abraham didn't hear this, and Isaac didn't hear this. God reserved this for Jacob in this moment in his life. And this is why I got stuck, because we skimmed through these midweek. We mentioned them, talked about them, but we need to take them one at a time. You need to slow up and hear this truth because you see, while these are personal promises of God to Jacob, each and every one is a personal promise to you and to me. I had a conversation with a brother this last week and the thing that came up in the conversation is I know he said it to them. How do I know he's saying it to me? Ever had that thought? I have, I, I, I found myself going through the scriptures going, okay, I just wanna find one where Jesus says, hey, Rick, listen up. I've yet to find that, you know, my name. But I have discovered over the years that there are so many biblical promises that we assume are for someone else that are actually for us, truth, that will encourage spirit. Four things here, note these. First of all, immediacy he says i am with you he doesn't say in a minute see that's me <laughs> that's me around the house my kids can confirm this hey dad in a minute hey dad hang on a second hey dad wait a sec you know and and it's especially david cuz it's kind of his way if i'm if i'm moving through the house quickly because i'm you know i'm man on a mission some of you guys you know what i mean we we get a thought in our head and that's what we got to do because we can't think of anything else or we'll forget So, you know, I'm headed back, I'm headed to the office because I got to grab the checkbook because I got to write a check for something. Or I'm headed back to the bedroom to grab my Bible because I had a thought and I've got to check it out. And I'm on my way. And that is inevitably when David says, Dad! And he wants to talk to me about the legend of Zelda. And I'm like, I don't care about Zelda. (laughs) And I'll be on my way moving through. And, And Dad! And my response, and it comes out often, in a minute, just a second. Now, I always give him the second I mostly always give him the second. You know, I'll come back, but but man, I gotta get to where I'm going. In a minute. God is not that way with you. God does not say, hang on. Lord, I just just but Lord, I just hang on. In a minute. I'll get to you. I got a long list of prayers I'm working through right now. Uh, it's not with God that Well, he was here a minute ago. See, that's my wife. See, that's Cheryl. For me, it's in a minute. For Cheryl, it's like, Mom, well, she was here a minute ago. I have never seen someone disappear faster than Cheryl can disappear. Right, Hannah? We never know where she is. And I mean from one second after I just saw her face. We can be standing in the kitchen together. I can can be talking to her. I can turn to get my tea, turn back, and she's gone. Where's Mom? Well, I don't know, she was here a minute ago. That's not God, he is immediately here. I am with you, right now, this moment. Well, he was with me yesterday, no, I'm with you right now. Well, he may come tomorrow, no, I am with you right now. In fact, he says, anoki, remember that word? When he says, I am with you, he says, anoki which is that word which has to do with the subject being immediate. I am with you. Wait a minute. (laughs) Isn't that his name, Yahweh? I am, I am. Moses said to God, Exodus 3.13, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to him, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Remember what he said, Exodus 6? I didn't appear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as I am, but as El Shaddai. I am appearing to you right now as I am, why? Because Moses and the children of Israel in all their distress needed to know God was immediately there in presence. I am with you, Jacob, I'm with you. Right now and always. And by the way, that is how you can always be in spirit. Anytime your faith is crumbling and your fear is climbing, In those moments, go back to the truth of God. Go back to who he is. Go back to his nature. As I said a few moments ago, start speaking his name or declare his names as declared in scripture. Think about who he is, what he does, where his heart is. And note that he is not immediately with Jacob because Jacob deserves it. He is immediately with Jacob because that's who God is. Lest he is not with you because you've earned the right. He's with you because that's who he is. We've learned this in in praying for people. When someone's sick, I may have shared this with you before, but when someone comes and they need prayer or they're sick or whatever, I used to pray saying, oh Lord, this person is your servant, please bless them with healing. Oh Lord, this, this person is so faithful, please bless. I don't do that anymore. I say, Lord, we are calling on your faithfulness. We're appealing to your grace, to your, it doesn't matter if the person's the best one among us or the worst among us, it has nothing to do with it. It's the nature of God that we're focused on. It's who he is. I'm with you, Jacob. Well, I, I'm trying to please you. It has nothing to do with that, Jacob. I'm with you because I'm with you. He's immediate. Because that's who he is. Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know what it would take for Jesus not to be with you personally? It would make him a liar. Jesus would have to be a deceiver to not be with you right now. And again, that has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. He made the promise on his own character and nature. Therefore, he must be with you depends on Jesus. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will live also, and in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. But please listen. You can only truly know that in spirit. You have to be in spirit to believe that, to accept that. Well, okay, what if I'm not feeling him? We love to use that phrase today. I'm just not feeling it, whatever. What if I'm not feeling him go back to the truth? Jesus said, John 8, 31, if you continue in my word, you are truly disciples of mine, you will know the truth, and what? That truth will set you free, from what? Your flesh, your fleshly mindset. It'll set you free from all of this fear that tries to hold us down, the truth. Having trouble being in spirit, go back to the truth. Read the word again. Just start reading the Bible. I tell people, man, open up the Gospel of John. You can't get but two chapters into that and you're already feeling better. You get into the third chapter, God so loved the world, and hey, that's for me. And you move through the Gospels, see who Jesus is, walk with him in the Galilee. Go with him up to Jerusalem. Follow him through the hills of Judea and see what that does to your spirit, just being in the truth. Read the word, especially the passages that describe and declare his nature. Because again, it's not about me, it's about him. And in truth, he keeps me in spirit. So to be spiritually minded is to be in the truth. Spirit is communion with God and truth is stability in these times. So, immediacy, he says, I'm with you. Secondly, indemnity. He says, I will keep you wherever you go. Indemnity. Now, that's a word typically you'll hear in an insurance policy, and it means security against hurt or loss or damage. But he listen, he says, I will keep you wherever you go. Keep you. Keep you in the Hebrew, it's a good word. Easy to remember, it's smarty. Smarty. I will keep you. Smarty means to guard, and it also means to treasure. And I really like that. God says to Jacob, I will treasure you wherever you go. Again, Isaiah 33, 6 tells us, he will be the stability of your times a wealth of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Do you realize that God has given us a treasure? Second Corinthians chapter four, verse five, says we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. I love that verse. And then he says, but but we have this, this treasure. What treasure? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ is our treasure. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power of God will be of God and not from ourselves. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. We have this treasure that is kept, secured, indemnified by God. Him saying, I will keep you wherever you go, wherever you may be, from Tequila to Tel Aviv, from Kirkland to Kiryat Arba. I will keep you, I will be with you. Yeah, but how do I know that's me again? John 17, 15, Jesus said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. And then he says in verse 20 of the same prayer, I do not ask on behalf of those, these alone, the apostles, but for those also who believe in me through their word, and that is you. That's you. Read John 17 when your faith is failing. This is Jesus praying for you on the night that he was betrayed. I will keep you. In fact, he even praises God on that night, I did not lose one except for the son of perdition. He's got you. John chapter 10, I have you. He says, no one can snatch you out of my hand. I will keep you. Immediacy, I'm with you. Indemnity, I will keep you wherever you go. Intentionality, I'll bring you back to the land. I'm gonna bring you back. Jacob, I I know you're going out. And you're going to be a foreigner. You're going to be a sojourner. But I will bring you back 20 years later. He did, by the way, to the exact same place. Note this, Genesis 35, verse six. So Jacob came to Luz, that is, Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him, he built an altar there, and he called the place el Bethel because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. Jacob is right back in the same place. What did God say? I'll keep you. I'm gonna bring you back. I will bring you back. And you know what that reminds me of? God promises to bring us back. Oh, I know, he, he promises a place prepared in heaven, John 14, verses one through three, that, that where I am, there you may be also. He promises we're gonna go home, we're gonna be with Jesus. He promises we're gonna be caught up and at home with the Lord, we'll be in a heavenly honeymoon with the Lord, we'll be protected by the Lord, in the immediacy of the Lord, by the indemnity of the Lord, but by the intentionality of the Lord, he's gonna bring us back. It's one of my favorite truths of Scripture. Zechariah 14:5 The Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Holy ones? Saints. Kadosh in the Hebrew, hagias in the Greek. 2 Thessalonians 1:10 tells us he comes to be glorified in his saints. He comes to be glorified in his saints. Where are his saints with him? On that day, He will be marveled at among all who have believed. Revelation 19, verse seven, we've been over this. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, For for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And Revelation 19, 14, and the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. What does that mean? I will bring you back. So not only am I promised that I will go home with him, but I am promised I will come back with him as he establishes his kingdom. Why? Because once I'm caught up, I will always be with the Lord. And that is his intentionality. So immediacy, I'm with you. Indemnity, I will keep you wherever you go. Intentionality, I will bring you back to the land. And finally he says, For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you intimacy. Intimacy. I'm I'm just with you. I will not leave you. And who is the fulfiller of this promise? It's not Jacob, it's God. I'm going to complete everything I said I wanted to complete in you. You know, that reminds me of another promise, Philippians 1:6, for I am confident Paul writes of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ, Jesus. I'll get it done. You're not the one who's going to get it done. You know that, don't you? You are not gonna perfect yourself. You're not gonna make yourself holy and righteous. You're not the one who's gonna finish the job. He's the one, he's the author, started your faith, and the finisher who will complete your faith. He's got you. And and he says he will, he'll he'll, he'll perfect it until, until what? Until the day of Christ Jesus. That is, until he's done what he's promised. I think it's funny, because he says, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And some might say, lacking faith, oh, so when he's done what he's promised, he's gonna leave him? <laughs> no. The guarantee is I am with you all the way to the absolute perfection of your life. When you are perfected in Christ, because when I'm perfected in Christ, I know and will know he'll never leave me. So intimacy And when you hear all these things, I don't know about you, but reading over verse 15 again, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. The overtones of that, to me personally, are remarkable. And I gotta ask you, in reading that and hearing that, how's your fear this morning? How you doing? Verse 16, Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. Do you know God in this place? Do you know God is in this place? If you're ever doubting, if in spirit is shaky, get in the truth. Truth will bring you back to spirit. In spirit and in truth. The Jews have a name for God. We shared this on Wednesday night. The Orthodox won't say Yahweh. They certainly won't say Yeshua. They will say Hashem, Hashem, the name, you'll hear them praying and you'll hear the word Hashem come out as they're, as they're praying. They also have another name you might not find as familiar and that is Hamakom. Hamakom, this place. The place. God is the place. He fell into a certain place, verse 11. He fell into Hamakom. And the Jews recognized that as God himself. God is the place in spirit and in truth. Verse 18, so Jacob arose early in the morning and took a stone that he had put under his head and he set it up as a pillar. He poured oil on its top. He called the name of that place, Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luths. And then Jacob made a vow saying if, but it's not if, it's since. It's since Since God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. This stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. And then verse 29, verse chapter 29, verse 1, then Jacob went on his journey. Literally, he lifted up his feet. You know why? Because Jacob's got a little spring in his step. He's got a little hitch in his giddy up. It's not a walk in the dark any longer. Now it is a walk of confident encouragement by the word of the living God. Jacob lifted up his feet. And that's what happened. That's what happens when you know God's in this place. Father, I pray in spirit and in truth for the encouragement of your people. I ask in spirit and in truth for you to guide us through unstable times that you would be our stability. I pray in spirit and in truth that we would be receivers of all your promises. That's been talked about recently, Lord. Every Saturday morning, Les has promised receivers. Lord, may we be receivers, recipients of of the promises of this book, of the promises of your truth, to believe you, to take you at your word. May we no longer falter in fear. Father, build us up in faith. And I ask, Lord Jesus, just for you to do what needs to be done in our hearts this morning. Strengthen, encourage, embolden. Father, And would you rebuke the fear that we might live confident in Christ. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.